Good morning, Journey. Hi, my name is Mark, if you didn't know that. Uh, Before I do anything else, uh, can I have student ministry leaders stand up? And middle school students, if there's some in the room, go ahead and stand up. Be really bold. You can do it. And high school students, could you stand up? Very good. Okay, so uh, you guys get to hear me talk, but I want to at least point all of these friends of mine out. These are kind of my church family homies, and today is kind of a student ministry Sunday. So if you look around and see these people or the ones who just sat down, I saw you over there, um, I don't know. Shake their hand, give them a hug, tease them, do whatever you want. Okay, you guys can sit. I was trying to think of something, like how do we clap for these? It it worked out. Um, Okay, we're gonna jump in. Uh, If you know me, I like to get deep really quick, so this this works out well. Um, I wanna actually invite you a little bit closer uh, to to some things I was processing this week. I want to invite you to to hear a little bit about, about my prayer as I was contemplating and praying uh, for this Sunday morning, I texted our, or emailed our staff and I said, hey, would you join me specifically in this prayer that God, through his Holy Spirit, would encourage our church in a unique way? And I told our 830 service this, but I just think that's such a timely prayer, not because I thought of the words, but because isn't that the reason why we come here? Isn't that the reason why we gather on a Sunday morning? Is because there's a part of us, whatever part of it, us that it is, that it anticipates God to move. We anticipate to hear from God, for God to move in our lives. And even collectively, we gather as a church family anticipating that God would move. So I'm excited for us to be together this morning. There are three different things that are kind of gonna shape uh, the morning. And the first one is this. About seven months ago, I submitted to the lead team, like, hey, there's this idea that I have. What if we leverage an entire Sunday morning just to pay attention to the younger voices in our church? And so maybe you've noticed some of the leaders out greeting in the coffee, some up here at the stage uh, in the band, and you'll see them uh, after in the prayer team. So maybe you've seen them. And ultimately, my hope is that you would see a little bit more clearly what God is doing in and through the lives of students in our church family. Our mission as a church is to lead people to radical love in action like Jesus. So this morning, I want us to think about leading kids and students to radical love in action like Jesus. Why? Because they need us. And just maybe we'll see that in reality, we need them too. Perhaps even more than we need them or than they need us. The second unique thing uh, that shapes this morning is the series that we've been in. We've been in a series called The Movement of Misfits. We've been going through the book of Acts. And in my opinion, there's been kind of one singular character throughout this whole book of Acts and through every chapter that we've been studying, which is Jesus. And so we might call the book of Acts the the Acts of Jesus and the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. As we've been following this movement of misfitted people, post-death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we've really begun to see a really good picture of the church, both of the old church, we think of it as old, and our church locally, and even the church globally. We're beginning to see a good picture. We're, we've seen that we have a communal identity, not just an individual one, we have a communal identity, and we have a dangerous but beautiful mission. What is our identity? We are God's people. We are God's family. 
What is our mission? Our mission is to join God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in bringing healing and redemption all over the world. Haven't you heard? Jesus is Lord over death. You guys wanna amen that? Hey, wait, wait, let's do it again. I'm feeling a little rowdy. Let's try it. <laughs> Haven't you heard? Jesus is Lord even over death. Amen. Amen. We're gonna talk a lot about the gospel this morning, and so I figured we should try to get on the same page about what that gospel is. I love the way Bruxy Cavey, a pastor, communicates what the gospel is. He says in one word, the gospel is Jesus. In three words, the gospel is Jesus is Lord. I can't count the next one. It's 30 words. I have counted it before, though. And in 30 words, he says, Jesus is God with us, come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, and shut down religion so we can share in God's life. That is the gospel. And this third and final point, and it's certainly not the least one, but we find ourselves at a unique time in the world, not a place, a unique time in the world, which is Wednesday. As followers of Jesus, we observed Ash Wednesday. This marks the first Sunday of Lent, And we begin this journey of watching and walking with Jesus from the onset of his baptism and his temptations in the desert all the way until the end, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection at Easter. So with all of that, let's jump in. I would invite you to rest your feet flat on the ground and turn your attention to your ears as we listen to scripture. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God has given you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I am in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher and apostle and a teacher of this good news. That is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it. It is why I, oops, sorry. But I am not ashamed of it. For I know in the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you've learned from me. 
a pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can gather together out of this cold. We thank you for the sunshine this morning. God, and as we gather together, we wait, we anticipate, we long for you to move, for you to continue to move in our lives and in our world. Spirit, would you speak to us in a way that we can hear from you? Would we pay attention to your voice, to the scriptures? God, we love you. We thank you that you love us. Amen. I should say, I do want to say this before we jump in. Uh, a lot of people have probably already told you this, but I want to say I'm glad you're here. Um, whatever might be going on in your life, uh, stresses, anxiety, school, work, family, relationships, I'm glad you're here. Before we look closely at this letter, let me paint the picture a little bit for us, and specifically painting the picture of Paul and Timothy's relationship. We should be familiar with Paul, or at least a little bit, because of our journey through the book of Acts. So while traveling and sharing the news of this resurrected Jesus, Paul eventually found himself in the town Lystra. In this town Lystra, he met Lois, of course, Timothy's grandmother, and Eunice, Timothy's mother, and of course, Timothy. Paul took notice of Timothy, though. He took notice of Timothy. Why? Because in this town of Lystra, people kept talking very highly of Timothy, they talked very highly, had a good reputation in this town, so much so that Paul decides to take him on a journey with him, on his journey, on his call to share the good news of Jesus. And so we see Paul paying attention to this young man, Timothy, because his passion, his enthusiasm for Jesus is that electric. We get this sense very quickly in the scriptures that Paul became kind of a mentor to Timothy. And now Timothy is an a co-worker alongside Paul and others sharing this good news. In fact, when Paul gets word of some trouble stirring in Ephesus, there's some corrupt teaching, there's some corrupt teachers, he sends Timothy to go to Ephesus, to this body of believers, to this church in Ephesus. So as Timothy goes, he sends him a letter. And this letter is what we call 1 Timothy, the first out of two letters that Paul sent him. We see Paul instructing Timothy to shut down men in the church who were having angry theological debates. Paul says, these dudes should learn how to pray. We also see Paul instructing Timothy to address certain wealthy women in this community. They turned the Sunday gathering into a little bit of a fashion show. They were wearing all of their expensive things and they were actually shaming some of the people in their community with this money. And so just like the men, Paul shuts these women down. Now alongside both of these problems, some of these wealthy women were teaching bad theology because of these corrupt teachers. And now this is kind of one of those sections in Paul's letters where like Peter mentions, we're not exactly sure what Paul means. It's kind of hard to understand what Paul is saying. So as such, there's a lot of different thoughts or views on what exactly Paul's saying. Some think that women should never lead or teach in the church. Others, that women shouldn't teach, but with education, they, they should. And others still, that Paul is only talking about these women in Ephesus because they have been deceived. And whichever view we take, Paul's instructions to Timothy are very clear 
at the end. That these women should learn from Timothy so that they might grow in their theological understanding and become outstanding ministers like the other females that Paul mentions in his letters, Phoebe, Junia, and Priscilla as an example. Now, this morning, we're gonna look at Paul's second letter, 2 Timothy. And we don't know how much time exactly has passed between the first and the second letter, but we do know a couple things. We do know Paul is still in jail or in jail again, he's imprisoned. And we do know things are getting worse. So much of what Paul's letter to Timothy essentially is saying, the trial with Rome isn't going well. I don't have much longer. Come soon, Timothy. And so we actually see this letter from Paul to Timothy is very personal. It's, it's deeply emotional. And it's the last letter we have of Paul. So let's look a bit more closely at this letter. In the first two verses, we read this. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Now Paul does what Paul always does in the beginning of most of his letters. He establishes himself as an apostle, right? In the midst of a lot of people challenging his authority and his uh, apostleship, again, connected to his authority, Paul says, no, 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 Timothy, remember who I am, what I say, the gospel that I preach, the things that I teach are rooted in my personal experience with Jesus, remember. Then he goes on to do these three blessings, grace, mercy, and peace. And if we're familiar with Paul's letters, we might recognize him at the beginning of his letters doing an invitation or a blessing for grace. Maybe mercy, but peace is maybe a new one. And while these three words are very simple in the in our language, they're pregnant with meaning, abundant with meaning. Grace is this word that captures God's kindness to those of us who don't deserve it. Mercy describes help to those who are weak and helpless. And it also would describe Paul and his conversion from his previous life as Saul, mercy. And finally, peace is this idea of reconciliation, restoration, and harmony with all things that have been marred and ruined. John Stott says, we may perhaps summarize these three blessings of God's love as being grace to the worthless, mercy to the helpless, peace to the restless, while God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord together constitute the one spring from which this tri-fold stream flows forth. To which I would add all of those things come to fruition as we've seen in the book of Acts through the Holy Spirit. We keep reading in verse three. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. Wow. And don't just let my wow be the, the, the pastor guy on the stage. Don't read the scriptures from a distance like that. If, you pay, if we pay attention, we see that this is emotional for Paul. What's Paul doing? He's trying to assure Timothy that he what? Remembers him. We read, 
I remember you constantly in my prayers. I remember your tears. I am reminded of your sincere faith. And whenever I remember you, Timothy, I thank God. In the very beginning of this letter, we see a a particularly vulnerable side of Paul. You can almost just picture Paul being imprisoned maybe chained to a wall or chained to a soldier, and he's writing and he's praying and thinking of his comrade, his spiritual son, Timothy. And as he's doing that, he can't help but feel a longing to be with Timothy again. Them being together again in Paul's mind isn't for Timothy, it's for Paul. We've already seen that Paul was Timothy's spiritual father, having led him to Christ, and however, he didn't abandon him. He constantly remembered him, all this language of remembering him. He had taken him on a journey. He had raised him up as an apprentice of sorts. And when they had parted on their last occasion, Timothy is unable to hold back his tears. And Paul remembers this. And Paul longs for the night and the day when they can be reunited. Some have described this word longing that Paul uses in his letter as a homesick yearning. Paul is homesick. He has a yearning to be with Timothy, to see Timothy again. It's probably easy to see the mentorship, the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Timothy needed Paul. Paul served as a great teacher and a great friend. And yet in verse four, there seems to be a clear cry from Paul that indicates his need for Timothy. Naturally, they both need each other as brothers. But in particular, we see Paul expressing a need for Timothy in his life. Paul ends this section in verse five by highlighting Lois and Eunice. Timothy's faith is a result that we can't seem to separate from his mother or his grandmother. They're interconnected. As Bob talked about last week, the the clarity of the gospel took root in Timothy's life because of these two faithful women. Let's keep reading. In verse six, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So in this little section, we, we read of Paul reminding Timothy of a time on their journey when he physically laid hands on Timothy. And God had given him some sort of a gift. And what does Paul say about this gift? He uses the metaphor of fire. He says, add oxygen to that fire. Let that fire grow. Why? It's almost as if he reads Timothy's mind. What if Timothy is thinking to himself, I'm scared? What if he's insecure? What if he's shy? What if he doesn't know how older people will receive this gift and his mission and his calling in the world? And so Paul reminds him. Paul says, this spirit who's given you this gift is the same spirit, not of shyness, not of timidity, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Allow the flame to grow for the sake of the gospel, Paul reminds Timothy. In verse eight, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life, He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of of this plain to us by by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way of life and immortality through the good news. 
Why does Paul tell Timothy he has no reason to be ashamed of Jesus, of this news, or of Paul being in prison? Well, he preaches the gospel to him again. And to some of us who are in church, who have been in church for quite a while, that can be a little bit of a reminder. This gospel to Paul is not something that he gets bored with easily. Because this gospel that Paul keeps reminding Timothy of is one in which the power of death is broken. The way of life is illuminated. Immortality is in abundance. There's an abundance of life. This news, this reality. And Paul continually connects Timothy and his own mission to share this news with their identities in Christ. We aren't ashamed of our mission. Why? Because of who God says we are. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Let's read these last four verses together. And God chose me to be a preacher and apostle and a teacher of the good news, Paul says. That is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you received and you learned from me. A pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. So have you or are you beginning to figure it out? We are misfits. We really are. And we need each other. You have a role just like Paul, just like Timothy, like Lois and Eunice, despite your age, your gender. Men, women, children, students alike, we have a role and a part to play. You have a role and a part to play, not just in the grand story of God redeeming and restoring all of the world, but also in our family, in our church family. And that word family, it reminds me of something a friend told me on my wife and I's wedding day. He said, love is an action, not a feeling. If we wait for the feeling of love before we love, we may never learn to love well. Let me say that again. Love is an action, not a feeling. If we wait for the feeling of love before we love, we may never learn to love well. Our mission is to lead people to radical love in action like Jesus. Friends, our identity isn't something that we decide as Christians. Our identity is something that's given to us. Our mission isn't up for debate as the church. We have a clear purpose. We have a clear mission. We must hold to this pattern that we've been given our identity and our mission. And yes, it will take the Holy Spirit's guidance and our obedience, our enthusiasm, our willful decision to say yes in order to animate this. We ask questions like, where will the Spirit guide us? We ask questions like, where will the Spirit guide you? What might God be saying? How will our homes be used to minister? How will our meals be used to minister? How will we, in love, serve Bozeman, Montana? Serve our neighbors? Serve our coworkers? All great questions, right? What do you see when you imagine and dream of the mission of the church? What might the church look like in the future? And when's the last time that you asked kids or students that question? 
Hey, Journey. I want you to hear from my middle school, high school friends and some leaders, some of their perspective on what they see the church looking like in the future. I see the church being a place where youth can come and um, be fully themselves and um, a place where people are accepted and loved but also given the tools to pursue a relationship with Christ. I see the church being somewhere where everybody just feels really welcome. I see the church being more involved in the community. I see a church that empowers youth and women. Uh, I see Journey Church becoming a stronger community. I see the church as a place where everyone can be really open and really vulnerable with each other, like a family, um, where everyone kind of knows each other, everyone knows what's going on in each other's lives. I think that really should be the goal, because that's the best way that we can love each other. Um, and whether that's knowing what's going on with our youth group or what's going on with some of the older small groups, anything like that, we got to be connected. Um, and that's what I want for the church in the future. I see the church being fun, but at the same time, interactive and educational. I see a church that cares. I see a church that is filled with love and acceptance towards anybody who walks through its doors. I see the church as a place where everyone can be themselves in their own skin and be comfortable talking about their struggles. I see a church that empowers individual growth and spiritual transformation through Jesus within community and through leaders that strive to empower people. I see the church in the future as being more um, outreach based, um, driving to different countries, um, and just being able to work on communities globally instead of just here in the U.S. Dylan, one of our high school students, filmed and edited all of that. I didn't even give him that much. Yeah, we can clap. Um, didn't give him that much time, and he did, he did a great job. Also, he, he told me, apparently there's a really good reel of bloopers, as you can imagine asking middle school and, and high school students, hey, what do you envision the future of the church looking like? You might get some interesting answers. I think one uh, was, hey, I picture the future of the church having way more donuts. So <laughs> I think that one was extra biblical. Uh, but in all seriousness, what do you see when you see their faces? Do you see misfits just like yourself? Do you see Timothys and future Loises and future Eunices? Do you see a part of our church family? Can you recognize your need for others? And ultimately, I hope you see a little glimpse of what God might be doing in our midst. Friends, we all need to dream. Friends, we all need to take action, to take love into action. It's who we are, it's what we do. Our identity, our mission has already been given to us. You are God's, you belong to him. You have been rescued back to him. And he has given you his spirit to move and love in this world. He has given you his spirit to move and love in this world. How will you respond? How will we, we respond? I can't think of a better way to respond to God's love and goodness and grace than to receive communion. We receive life from the body of Christ. The bread represents Christ's broken body on the cross as he died. The juice and the wine are an image of Christ's blood poured out for us. 
the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. Let me read one of the common lectionary texts for this Sunday as we journey through Lent. Romans 10. The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, for no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, in light of Ash Wednesday, remember, we are dust and to dust we shall return. But Jesus says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. As you come and receive communion, if you could come down on the right side and leave on the left, that makes our big church family a little bit easier for us. You can come and dip the bread into the wine or the juice and know that there's gluten-free options at the very end. Grace, mercy, and peace as you come to the table. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.